Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, thanks everybody. I've got John Slade back with me. We're going to continue on our discussion from the last episode about environmental justice policy, which we ended talking about some practical, technical advice for facilities to plan ahead for their big projects. We're going to wrap up this episode with similar planning ahead type of questions through just a little bit of a different lens. But before we get into that, John, the first question I had for this time is from a regulator's perspective, is environmental justice policy, how practical is it to implement and what's the burden between the regulatory agency and the facility? Is this a collaboration? How does all that sort of land generally? Right. Yeah. And and that's a great question because the burden, the legal burden, I guess, is on the agency that issues the permit. So the state or local agency obviously are the ones, if, if somebody is going to appeal the permit and, you know, environmental justice is, is one of the most appealed topics on air quality permits out there. If they're going to appeal a permit, it's the state or local agency that has to defend that permit. Uh, and sometimes EPA gets involved with, with needing to defend it. But the, the real burden is, is on, on the agency. But that, that doesn't mean that they can't ask for assistance. In fact, they should be. I mean, they should be asking the company to provide a lot of the information as far as as what the uh, analysis would be. So it, it is very collaborative because the agency may also be the one who has better information about what the projected the impacts on the area are going to be from from other projects, their assessment of maintenance of the ambient air quality standards. So it, it is very collaborative from that standpoint that uh, the agency can provide a lot of the base information that might be needed and they have to assess whatever the company submits in their in their analysis and ultimately the agency is the one who who needs to issue the the environmental justice assessment so and they can also for the communication piece they can you know, they can ask for assistance from the uh, company on providing translators for different languages for, for for different notices. You know, so it should be a collaborative thing. But again, like I said, in the end, it's, it's the agency's responsibility to provide the assessment and to set up the public hearings, public meetings. And, and that's in today's world of COVID, that's... <laughs> That's really a, a special challenge here, and and I and I know there've been some there's been some litigation on like video conferencing whether that meets the 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 spirit of the law for providing public meetings. So I, I think there there's definitely 
some collaboration that needs to happen on on that end. I think there are a lot of resources out there, and COVID has helped generate some of them or or highlight their availability. So I think the agencies and maybe even along with you know companies can try to can try to figure out better ways to reach out to the public with uh, with meetings, virtual meetings and stuff, because you can ultimately you can reach more people and you can set it up in a manner that it could be available to individuals who don't have computer resources. So but all of that will take planning uh, and, and a thoughtful process. That makes sense, John. Yeah, if we're at a facility level, if you're about to strike out on this process, don't don't be a passive observer. Work with, especially right now, to your point with COVID, work with the agency, give them ideas. What are some different ways we can connect with people? So we've seen some of that collaboration going on and it's been good to see. I suppose to your point, it, it all depends on some of it being legal. Does that pass the test, if you will? So that's good feedback. Follow up to that, though, thinking about these public meetings and the level of collaboration, walk through from the standpoint of the presenters at some of these public meetings, who who typically are the presenters and who's typically present in a normal situation? Yeah, that That's a, a real important aspect of, of reaching out to the public because the public generally doesn't understand the technical aspects. And, and unfortunately, you need to have the very, very technical aspects in the report so that you've got good science behind it. But, but when you're reaching out to the community and explaining the impacts, uh, it, it takes a whole different skill set. Engineers don't necessarily and scientists don't necessarily make the best presenters to the, to the general public. So it's important for the, for the agencies and the companies to develop a team that is, have got the very technical people who may not be the good presenters. And you've also got a team that are good presenters and have enough technical expertise to, to bridge that, to, to be able to translate that technical information to the public in a, in a manner that they can actually uh, digest. When you were at the agency, how did you find yourself navigating this process often and navigating it with facilities? And how did it go when you were on that side of the, the table in terms of being able to find those teams? Yeah, I've had the pleasure of both being with the agency and holding public meetings and, uh, and out in the consulting world and being on the, the company and trying to uh, present at, at some of these public meetings and, and neither position is easy. And it's important to understand the topic clearly and to, and to think of ways both graphically and in, uh, and in words to explain to the public uh, the impact. And, you know, one of the areas risk assessment is one of the areas that it's, it's very difficult to explain uh, it's sometimes even the uh, agency does does not fully comprehend risk assessment and, and what that means. You know, uh, your you know your your likelihood to develop cancer is one in a million. Well, what you know what what does that mean? How does that translate in comparison to you know the general risk of of you getting cancer from from something uh, just in the 
you know, the, the, the known risk out there. So it's, it takes a thoughtful process to know how to present that, but then you're going to get a lot of questions. You're going to get a lot of curveballs thrown at you and you've got to be able to translate the information that you've got into an answer to, to that question. So it's, it is a very difficult process. And I'll say I've encountered on both ends to say, you know, you've, you've asked a great question. We don't have that level of information with us. We will, we'll take that. We'll take your question back and we will provide you an answer in writing to your question. Sometimes you just have to do that. You know, there, there's, there's just no, there's no way to, to prepare for every single question that's, that's presented. And, and you just got to be honest, but you've got to give good feedback and say, we will get back to you with an answer to that question. Right. So from a skill set perspective, very different. And especially as the concept of environmental justice policy continues to grow, knowing who on the team has that at the facility level is particularly important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned before, communicating with the, with the agency, because they're the ones who are holding the public meeting to, you know, so that you can answer those questions in a manner that, uh, you know, is is sort of acceptable. So talking with them ahead of time about what you're going to present, how you're going to present it, I, I think is also very important. Right. And communicating it in a graphical way. I've, I've also heard the campfire exposure versus exposure from this facility, that type of thing. Just thinking about different things that people do on a routine basis and comparing those is, is something that could also be helpful. And it's in, I want to note, too, from the standpoint of the amount of information out there, we're not talking about more information or more transparency, because if you look at an air quality construction permit application or any environmental media, there's probably more information in there than the general public would even care to know. I mean, we, we present a lot of information. This is just taking that information and presenting it a different way, which is from an efficiency standpoint, very important when we've got big projects. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, what, what makes sense to, Permit reviewers, they're looking at, you know, best available control technology. You know, they're, they're looking at there's multiple ways to, to reduce emissions from, from this source. You know, what is, what's the best way to do that? But that can be difficult to, to translate. And sometimes some controls cause other pollutants, like if you're controlling volatile organic compounds, if you're oxidizing them, then you're producing nitrogen oxide emissions. And so there, there could be sometimes a trade-off where we're reducing this one, but we're actually creating some pollution. So it's important to be able to, to translate and, and to explain, you know, that's, you know, that's a reasonable trade-off, you know, because you're, you're reducing the impact of this thing, which might be a toxic organic to, to uh, infinitesimal impact. And you've got, uh, you know, you're producing some nitrogen oxides, but you know, there that additional amount compared to what's already in the atmosphere is also not significant. So it, it's important to be able to explain those things to the public. All right, John. I have two more questions. First one is: Is there anything else we talked about modeling and 
proactive technical steps facilities can be doing to prepare, getting a team together, making sure they've got the right folks involved and how to communicate these things. Is there anything else that you've seen or would suggest that facilities could do proactively with certain communities? Have you seen examples of that? Is there other things that come to mind for you sure. to, to prepare for some of these things? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's often opportunity for the companies to participate in um, in panels with their community to, you know, to both explain their facility, you know, and, and, and any changes where they're working directly with the local government. So below the state level, they're working with their townships or their municipality, and they're, they're telling them about changes that they're proposing or planning on doing ahead of time so that, you know, they both from a local zoning standpoint, because there are often local permits that they have to get for, for buildings and, and the easements and stuff like that. But it's also important to be, have that communication uh, with, uh, with the local government. And that often is, they hold periodic meetings with the public. And so there's another opportunity to, to reach out to the public ahead of time through those means and then companies can can also for special projects they can they can do some outreach to to the local community ahead of time so that it's so that's not a surprise so that inform the public about what they're they're planning on doing they're very transparent about what they're doing but that also means that they have to collect a lot of this information and and information about the impact uh, the possible impacts ahead of time so that they can explain to the public what, you know, what the impacts are going to be, but absolutely uh, getting out there ahead of an official permit submittal is really important for especially the larger, larger projects. And if you identify that you've got an EJ area, do some of that outreach ahead of time, ahead of the official required EJ notifications and, and public meetings, because if the community feels like they've been, you know, been informed, been asked for their feedback on on what you're doing, then it's definitely a smoother process once you get into the formal, the formal permitting. Because if they they feel like you know nobody's told them about this, and all of a sudden they've got a you know they got a finite amount of time, ninety days or whatever, you know, to get their to get their comments, and they feel like the project's already fully developed, and their comments aren't going to mean anything, you know. So the sooner you provide outreach to the to the community that could be impacted, you're going to be so much better off during the formal permitting process. Makes sense, John. I'm going to end with the impossible question, <laughs> and the impossible question is: Where does environmental justice policy go from your perspective? And I know that. We've had an election, but I'm talking more broadly beyond just the pendulum swings from one administration to the next. But just looking at your last 50 years and looking forward, what do you see for environmental justice policy that you can share with folks of where it might head? Well, it's it's definitely an evolving process, and it's definitely more on the forefront right now for a variety of reasons. There's certainly uh, a focus on on disparate impacts on uh, on certain communities and and uh, and races and ethnicity 
And also, I, I see this as not a, po- a political thing at all, but is definitely something. And, and it's also been a highly litigated topic over over the years and, and even the more recent uh, vintage. Uh, it's definitely a topic where, where there have been court decisions that have said the agencies, the federal government, are not doing enough uh, on the environmental justice area and that they, they need to do better. So I, I think that critique has been, has been broadcast by the courts and they want to see the agencies do a better job. We've gotten different readings of level of that that is required, but there's definitely, I'd say, the, the general pointer of the arrow is that the EPA and the agencies need, need to do a better job on environmental justice and need to consider broader aspects of, of what the, the impact on the, on the community has been and would be from this project. And, and if trends continue, you know, the additional impacts that are going to, that are going to happen as, as, you know, a certain area gets developed more for, for industrial sources or, or whatever, whatever that change is. So, so I, I don't see this as, as a, a political thing at all, but it's definitely something that is here. And uh, all the EPA and the local and state agencies need to start their outreach program to better define what they're going to do to provide good environmental justice assessments for their projects. And, and what are the triggering points that Again, I, you know, there, that's all, we're always going to get back to that because if you do every single project, it's just too costly from a resource standpoint and a time standpoint. So defining where that trigger point is. And then once you've triggered, you know, what is a good environmental assessment? So all of those things need much better definition going forward. And, and, and that, that's the, that's the immediate challenge, I think, is to provide that. That better definition. John, thanks for the time and the insight to our listeners. I hope that this was a good forward-facing look at a topic that doesn't necessarily come up in the day-to-day for folks, but it's a topic that's going to take on increasing importance, like John mentioned. So I appreciate everybody for listening and hope you join us next time. been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.